welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, a podcast from the Orange Students team. Our mission is to help you, the youth leader, influence the next generation. And we do that through this podcast, other resources, and our weekly curriculum, XP3. If you'd like to learn more, check out orangestudents.com. But for now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Rethinking Youth Ministry Podcast. And we are so excited to be joined today by Ashley Johnson and Crystal, a regular with us. Hey there. And also, Will, it's your first time here with us. And Will is a next-gen pastor in Florida, in West Palm, Florida. And he's done a lot of work on teenagers and learning about how to handle grief and despair in the teenage brain and what we can do to help them. And so, Will, we're so excited that you're here. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what your experience has been in the past year and a half, what you've learned and what kind of prompted you to move in this direction? Yeah. So I started a nonprofit because I was seeing this problem as, you know, many of us have like, and what do we do about it? And I had so many people in schools, I had parents, uh, Mm -hmm. educators that were really kind of scratching their heads. Like, how do we help kids when they're facing depression, anxiety, despair? Like, what do we do about it? And so a year and a half ago, I started working with a group of mental health counselors and started talking to people way smarter than me about trying to find some solutions. And so for the last year and a half, we've been doing school assemblies. We've been doing parent trainings, teacher trainings. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, just trying to help bring some solutions to the problem that we're facing. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. So tell me a little bit about um, what you found when talking to the mental health professionals. What is the, you know, statistically, what are we looking at with teenagers today versus teenagers 10, 15 years ago or even further back that makes this a bigger problem? Well, I mean, we know this. I mean, if we just stop and we look around, like the the behavior of teenagers has changed tremendously. I mean, even when we were in high school, like we Mm -hmm. used to hang out with friends, like in physical places, right? Yeah. And then now teenagers hang out with their friends in virtual spaces. Like, 40% of teenagers now, they don't hang out daily with their friends. So that's a a big difference. difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, with that, it's changed how we relate to one another. Mm -hmm. It's changed um, how we connect. And ultimately, it's caused a major issue. And the Mm -hmm. issue that, that we see with this increased detachment and separation from human connection Mm -hmm. is that we're seeing this rise in despair. We're Mm -hmm. seeing this rise in depression and anxiety. And, you know, if you really slice it down, you ask the question, well, what caused this? Mm -hmm. It's hard to say like one thing specifically Mm -hmm. caused this rise in in despair, but um, rather a, a, a variety of things. But I would say the one thing, the common thread is a lack of human connection. And we're seeing that there's a connection between that and the amount of time that teenagers or really any of us are spending on our phones. Yeah, there's a lot of research that's starting to come out that shows that um, there is a correlation between yeah. the time that we're spending on our phones. The, I mean, what, what you do in a virtual space, so mm-hmm. playing video games or being on social media, you're detaching from your, your reality of mm-hmm. your world. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but... Um, I know I've watched like with my kids, like if they se- if they spend like, let's say two hours on an iPad, mm-hmm. like their behavior changes, right. like mm-hmm. the way that they interact changes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that with teenagers as well. Like they, it's almost like they have to come back to the real world, like come mm-hmm. back to, mm-hmm. to reality. So when you, when you have somebody who's just in a virtual space all the time mm-hmm. and they're detached from people, their emotional um, processing really starts to break down empathy starts to break down and then they just kind of feel numb. They feel stuck. They feel like 
there's no way out. And I would say the number one problem that this is causing, as every youth worker knows this, mm-hmm. is the suicide rate amongst teenagers. It's mm-hmm. doubled mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. And specifically between the ages of 10 and 14, this study just came out like last month, wow. is that uh, the ages between 10 and 14 has grown the most mm-hmm. wow. out of all demographics. And it's increased 57% mm-hmm. suicide rate in the yeah. last 10 years. So as a youth worker, I'm like looking at this, I'm like, we have to do something about emergency. this. Like yeah. we, this is the fight for this generation because in the nineties, it was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. right? I mean, right. that's what we were preaching. Just say no, yes. you know, don't do at risk behavior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no to everything. Stay away. <laughs> yeah. Right. But now, you know, they're, they're not, that's all in, down. Like yeah. the, it's not as much, yeah. you know, sexually right. active teens is actually down significantly since mm-hmm. the early nineties. And so Yes, those things still exist, but the one thing that we're seeing a lot of is a lot of despair. And so we have to do something about it. I love that you're saying that. And then at the same time, there was something that you said that, I don't know if it felt strange to me, but I think among like my generation, we feel there's a a fence between virtual world Mm -hmm. and reality and that reality and virtual reality are different places. But for the small group that I lead, for them, it's just their world. Mm. And it's all meshed together. Um, there's a girl in our student ministry who I remember talking to her. Her first two boyfriends were in other states, and they never met face-to-face. Mm. And it was a, huh. in her mind, that was a very real relationship. That wasn't like a weird like cyber world relationship. That was right. just – it was just a boyfriend. Yeah. And so how do we navigate when we understand that there's a difference there, but they don't really feel that way? Is yeah. that part of the problem? Yeah, that is part of the problem. I think it's so interesting that you say that, by the way, because I have a former student who uh, just got married this past year uh-huh. and he had, a, you know, he's a very popular kid. So he could have invited many people, but he had to narrow his wedding down to about 100 people. Mm-hmm. And so of the select people that he invited, he invited two friends that he only knew on Facebook uh, or on Xbox Live, rather. Wow. So That's those relationships crazy. are very real, <laughs> very real. And yeah. he invites these two guys. The first time they meet face to face is actually at his wedding. But he had such <laughs> a deep friendship yeah, with them. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I want you guys to be at my wedding. But yeah. that and, feels to us, that feels like. That's that's a different world. That's a virtual world. That's not real. That but to feels him, it was foreign very, to yeah. us. But I think for our students who they don't remember a time before social media. Yeah, like they don't remember yeah. a time before mm-hmm. Internet. I don't know that that feels as foreign to them or that they even see the, f- the borders drawn the way that we see them. Right. Yeah. So which makes me ask the question. I've also, I've often thought about this question. Can intimate deep relationships be formed in the virtual space? I think that's the question. Right. That is the question for us. I think it's, it's not possible because mm-hmm. we have been wired a certain way to understand mm-hmm. relationships and yeah. human dynamics a certain way. But think about like kids who are like, eight, 10 years old right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't know a time without FaceTime. Like that's weird. That's they can't true. think of a that's moment true. in yeah. life where they didn't have the ability to see somebody through a virtual space. Yeah. But what so, about physical touch at that point? Right. So now mm-hmm. physical touch is lost, which, you know, it, and I think that's part of the problem is that yeah, we yeah. don't understand how um, certain things are affecting our mental health. And physical mm-hmm. touch, as you mentioned, that's a really it's big, a big, deal. Yeah. big piece, yeah. especially when you start going through a hard time. Like mm-hmm. when you're facing despair, it's not enough to have somebody on the other side of the screen. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to have somebody empathize with you mm-hmm. and help you to feel yeah. felt. 
to help mm-hmm. you to to connect with the emotion. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that can be done in the virtual space, but if it's only being done in the virtual space, I think mm-hmm. we're missing a major mm-hmm. piece that actually promotes healing in the brain. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think our audience probably doesn't know this, but all of us at the table know that you spoke in our staff meeting this morning, which was awesome. phenomenal. Yeah. And one of the things you were talking about was the importance of eye contact. And I couldn't help but think the number of significant conversations I've had with the girls that I lead over FaceTime and how eye contact is not a real thing. (laughs) Even on such a sophisticated technology, I'm Mm. looking down and they're looking up and there's never real, there's never a moment (laughs) when there's an actual eye contact moment. So true. Because oftentimes when you're on FaceTime too, you're kind of more looking at yourself. So true. I was just doing the same thing. True true confessions, you know? Yeah, (laughs) just call it out. That's true. (laughs) And even when you're not just looking at yourself or looking at the other person, very rarely are you looking in the actual camera, which would be eye contact. Right, right, right. right. So you're right. You don't really get eye contact with that. Okay, so I have a question. So you and I saw each other at the National Youth Workers Convention, which was so much fun. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time talking to a lot of different youth workers. And it seemed like the dominant conversation around the country was, what do I do about depression and anxiety? And every kid, it seems like, is facing it. And some of it's clinical and medical and honestly beyond the scope of what we can handle as youth workers. But there's this whole other group of kids who are just facing it because that's part of being a teenager mm-hmm. now. What do we do about it when it's not clinical and medical and beyond our pay grade? Yeah. Well, I think one, there's, the, you know, just to plug one more time because you can't harp it enough is, you know, the, you definitely need to get help, especially mm-hmm. when it is clinical, medical mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. deeper. But I also want to kind of take the pressure off for youth workers. Like you don't have to diagnose kids. Like That's you don't good. have to figure that right. out. Because depression isn't the sole cause of suicide. Mm -hmm. Like when we look at the problem, okay, the suicide rates are rising. And we think that, well, this is because of depression. Well, that's not necessarily true. In fact, Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of mental health contributors to suicide. Depression isn't the only one. The common thread, though, that every single person who's ever attempted or completed suicide feels is despair. Despair is Mm -hmm. the issue. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the good news and the bad news everyone faces despair. Mm-hmm. So when we look at despair and we realize that despair is the thing that we have to lean into and help kids to heal mm-hmm. from, then it kind of makes it where we're more empowered again. Yeah. Like we're empowered because we can do something to help heal despair. There's mm-hmm. actual tools that God's given us to help kids heal from despair. Like the brain can be reshaped. It can be rewired. And there are ways to bring despair down. Let let me explain it, you know, this way. So if you look at uh, the psychology, you know, your brain is made up of, of two parts. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, your brain is made up of a lot of parts, but two, (laughs) two in specific that we're going to look at, you have the right side of your brain, which Mm -hmm. is where your emotional processing Mm -hmm. takes place. And you have your left side of your brain where your logical processing Mm -hmm. predominantly takes place. Mm -hmm. Um, What happens in despair one psychologist explained it this way is it's like it's a dispairing okay. that the two sides mm-hmm. kind of separate. You have this wow. emotional detachment mm-hmm. and the right side becomes overactivated. Okay. Like a constant drip of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, yeah. mm-hmm. over time kind of creates this detachment. And the right side of the brain mm. becomes overactivated. Your fight or flight mechanisms skyrocket mm-hmm. and logical processing decreases. Mm-hmm. So this is why anytime you've talked to a kid who's facing despair and you've mm-hmm. asked them the question, how are you feeling? Oftentimes the response is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Because they're having the emotions, but they can't connect to the part that logically processes the emotions. Right. Because okay. you need logical processing in order to put things into words. Your, mm, your okay. word formation happens in the logical side of your okay. brain. So they might say, I feel numb, mm -hmm. right? They don't yeah. even know what they're feeling. So what you have is you have all this emotional energy built up. Yeah. yeah. And they need an ability and a way to exhaust that emotion. Yeah. They need a way to exhale. And mm -hmm. what, what this is the coolest part. You ready? So here's what we can do as youth workers. We can help kids heal from despair by helping them to feel felt. Okay. That when somebody feels felt, when they feel that, that somebody understands mm -hmm. what they're experiencing yeah. through empathy, through love, despair mm -hmm. decreases and the two sides begin to come back together. Okay. Well, I had a question because even as it pertains to like grief. And when you have like a really specific situation that's happened mm -hmm. and talking about this despairing and then trying to help it through human connection, but a teen or a student is just trying to process loss or something mm -hmm. like that. And they use words like, I would try to ask like, well, do you feel like you are seeing in color anymore? And they're like, mm. everything's just gray. Or maybe I will see in color again, but it's dull now. Mm. Or, you know, I guess when you when you talk about meeting with connection, what tools do you have when you say, okay, this event just happened in your life mm -hmm. and it's not just something that's internal or just the way you're seeing the world, mm -hmm. but it's like something massive, life-changing happened to mm -hmm. you and still trying to find connection through, through Without that. Without short-circuiting the process. Like exactly. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, grief in specific, specifically grief, you know, mm -hmm. is... Um, is unique because you're ha you have a high amount of despair, which mm -hmm. means you're going to 100% have a detachment between logical processing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of emotions; they're going to be there, and it's going to be it, it's going to take time to exhale that. The way that you respond, I think, the best way to re to help someone in that response um, is to help them to feel felt by using emotional words. Like so, yeah. for okay. instance, you mm -hmm. might say, um, you know, I. I hate that you're going through what you're going through because mm -hmm. I imagine right now you feel lonely or I imagine right now you feel That's good, yeah. scared. Um, would you say that you feel exhausted right now? You know, and as you use those words and kind of pitch like, hey, do you mm -hmm. feel this? You feel this? You feel this? Eventually they might say, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And the best response is tell me more. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah. And just allowing them to process and talk. What that does is it allows somebody to feel felt and it, it, it really identifies and communicates, I matter. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. this mm -hmm. moment matters and what I feel matters. And I don't have somebody telling me, well, you know what? God just needed another angel. Oh, gosh. Uh, no. Oh, that's the worst. Right. <laughs> I know. We yeah. have feelings about that. Uh, but yes. then there's the other side of that when they don't want to talk. And what I found is they just want to talk about something may mm -hmm. not be. Is that a helpful tool as well? Just well, talk to me about your crush then or talk to me about the sports you like. Yeah, I, there, is a, there is an element of where they might be avoiding feelings, uh -huh, which yeah. doesn't mean that they're healing. So that's mm -hmm. the one caveat. Right. However, timing is everything. Mm -hmm. And don't underestimate the, the power of presence. Yeah. So just being present is huge. Yeah. Appropriate physical touch, um, uh, words of affirmation mm -hmm. and eye contact can help somebody to feel loved and to mm -hmm. feel felt even in the midst of their despair. Wow, that's good. I feel like I'm learning so much in this conversation because I've been leading small groups for a long time. 
and I don't know if teenage boys do this. You can tell me. <laughs> teenage girls, when they're kind of spinning out emotionally, I feel like they hand me a a knot of problems that are all interrelated mm-hmm. and they're all. Yeah. And they just, you know, my mom and this boy in school and uh, and my temptation as the leader is to always sort of pull one string out of a time and logically deal with each of them. Fix and it. they're not in a logical yeah. place at right. all. Yeah. No. And so just hearing like, oh, you should deal with the emotion before you deal with the logical behavior. Right. Yeah. That is really, really helpful. Yeah. You have to notice what's happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if a student is right brain activated, so mm-hmm. emotionally responsive. Right. So like you, me a lot of the time. You're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when yes, you are emotionally yeah. activated... <laughs> It would be good for someone who's interacting with you to first meet the emotion with emotion. So Mm -hmm. um, see the emotion, meet Uh the emotion. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a student come in to, uh, you know, youth group and they're just, they're frustrated and they're like, I can't believe it. I failed this test and, oh, my teacher is such a jerk and blah, blah, blah. And they're just, they're just Mm -hmm. distraught, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. they're angry. Maybe they're sad, you know? And maybe it's a, a senior who's afraid that this is going to affect their college, you know, outcome. Right. And, you know, she's crying and she's, mm-hmm. you know, she's just really upset. As a small group leader, what you might want to do is you might want to say, well, you know, you did say that you haven't been studying, right? You go into logical yeah, processing. Yeah. Or, well, what yeah. do you think you can do differently to make this different? Because obviously you're in control, right? You mm-hmm. go logical processing. Right. The problem is is that when we meet right brain with with left brain, we completely miss them. Like wow. we kind yeah. of fly over mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And then yeah. they just hear wah, 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 right. wah, yeah. wah. And meanwhile, they conclude, you don't really care about me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And you don't care about the situation. Yeah. But when we stop and we say, hey, I understand. Oh, that must suck. I am yeah. so sorry that you mm-hmm. you failed that test. And you must you must feel really disappointed right now. Yeah, I do feel disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. tell me about it. Right. Yeah. And just allowing them to exhale emotion yeah. first, then you'll have the opportunity to come back around on the back end and say, hey, what do you think you can do differently? You know, well, and it almost seems that when they are allowed to process it out loud, they may be able to draw their own conclusions without right. us doing it for them. And I think in doing that, they begin to build their own sense of resilience on their own, which would become a tool for fighting despair when it circles back around. So it's it's kind of helping them process aloud that is enabling them to be more healthy long-term, I would think, even though it feels counterintuitive. To acknowledge their emotions feels like you would be condoning what they've done or dwelling on something that feels negative when it's actually the opposite. My only question to that is a lot of times when students are processing negative or despair, it comes out in negative emotions. Yeah. So when you say meet emotions with emotion, it's like, what in me as the student leader needs to calm down first because mm-hmm. all I'm seeing is anger. All I'm right. seeing is apathy or all I'm seeing is this negative response. Mm-hmm. And what mind frame do I need to be in to even have initiate this conversation? Yeah. That's okay. a great question because oftentimes other people's emotional responses can trigger our own issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, it's good to and be then all of a sudden, yeah. like maybe we feel offended on God's behalf. You know? <laughs> And That's then, really real. <laughs> right. And then we're like, oh, you know, yeah. and we feel the need to defend faith or, yeah. or keep them on the, the straight yeah. and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have to take a deep breath in those moments yeah. and recognize, mm-hmm. okay, they're angry and they're, they're saying a lot. But if I just sit in this moment with them long enough, 
and allow them to exhaust all this, there's going to be a moment where we're going to be able to, mm-hmm. to turn back. And sometimes you just let it be and it's the next day kind right. of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but if, if you have that uh, heightened emotional energy, I mean, we know this, it's just hard escalates. to get through anyways. Right. Yeah. So you have to meet emotion with emotion. At the very least, you're communicating, I care. Mm-hmm. It sucks that you're in this situation. It sucks that you feel this way. This hurts me. Here's a tool that, that I like to use is an IFAB okay. tool, which mm-hmm. is I feel about because. Okay. So using this kind of sentence format with a teenager can help you express your emotions, which then also validates there. So mm-hmm. for instance, I feel sad mm-hmm. about your situation, whatever the situation mm-hmm. is, that you failed your test because I can see how it's making yeah. you want to mm-hmm. give up. That's good. Right? Yeah. Yep. And so you're, you're expressing your emotion, and mm-hmm. that's showing empathy, really. Yeah. You're yeah. meeting emotion with emotion. The problem is, is when we communicate like belief statements, mm-hmm. and the belief statements kind of, uh, they, they just discard the emotion. What do yeah. you mean by belief statements? Yeah. Like a belief <laughs> statement like you're better than this, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or or you shouldn't feel this way. You know, you mm-hmm. have so much to be grateful for. Why right. aren't you just grateful? Mm. What if you just focused on being grateful? Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like yeah. We're communicating. Those are good things, but it's a belief statement. It's logical processing. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're not meeting the emotion with emotion. It's no different than when somebody faces grief and we mm-hmm. all, you know, kind of we're like, oh, we can't say that. It's no different, though, when yeah. we're creating these belief statements in a moment of emotional heightency yeah. that we have to first say, no, 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 I see this. Yeah. Let's be real about what this is. Yeah. But as that, that decreases, that despair decreases, you're going to be able to take them on that journey of, yeah. of health and wholeness. Okay. And then you talked about journey. So a little insight. So I just lost my dad to Parkinson's about six months ago. And what I've learned about grief is that you know how there's stages. Mm-hmm. There's the, I don't know, the denial, the denial, the anger, the acceptance. And so when you're talking about, when you're leading students though, sometimes I feel like as ministry leaders, we want to resolve mm-hmm. something so mm-hmm. fast and, 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 and we treat the stages as truth, but as like a graduation of like, mm-hmm. oh, you were in the anger stage, so I'm gonna give you all the resources or your, your best friend just moved or you just went to a new school, so this is what you can do. And then we expect them to move on to the right. next stage mm-hmm. of however they're processing despair, but just a little bit more patience that, yeah, you might've had a really great breakthrough conversation with someone and, and felt that empathy, but that same emotion of anger or whatever may come back in the next day or two yes. and that patience is okay it's, especially in the first year of experiencing right. something that traumatic grief isn't necessarily linear it can be cyclical and you're yeah. coming mm-hmm. back around to these and like I a bet, revolving door almost yeah. i bet you can think of a circumstance in the last six months where somebody's projected on you where they believe you should be mm-hmm. oh absolutely yeah. and how has that made you feel <laughs> we don't want to talk about my feelings <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean and i can't imagine at 32 experiencing trauma at 17 to this degree or just or a middle schooler trying to navigate hormones let alone this mountain of pain uh, and and then being able to explain that and then the pressure of feeling like well my friends just want me to be normal again they just want me to play and be who i was and i'm just i'm just not yet yeah yeah It feels like that maybe our tendency to want to go logical is just how uncomfortable we can be with 
despair in anybody, in ourselves or in mm -hmm. somebody else, and just not wanting to acknowledge or experience what is just uncomfortable. Like it yeah. just isn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good to kind of sit there and stay there, even though that, like you were saying, don't underestimate the power of presence, that being willing to sit there can actually be the most helpful thing that we can do. It's really good. Yeah, and I would say I'm not by, you know, if you take my Myers-Briggs or mm -hmm. my personality traits, I'm not like a, let's just sit around and talk about our feelings. <laughs> I really, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Um, but what I've learned is that one, the more that I actually identify my own feelings, mm -hmm. the, the, the more I'm actually able to connect with people and connect with people on a real yeah. level. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually able to help people in a very tangible way by first identifying where I'm at right. and then using that and kind of asking the question, how would I feel if I was in their shoes, right? Empathy. Yeah. And then saying, no, I get it. Yeah, I want to go back. I, I want to stay there a little bit because I think that's important that we can't expect to guide students somewhere that we're not necessarily willing to go ourselves. So what can we do as leaders to kind of work on becoming emotionally healthy individuals and leaders to help students then begin to navigate those same emotions? That's a great question. And there's a lot of different angles yeah. that we can go <laughs> with. I mean, how do we become emotionally healthy individuals ourselves? I think... Uh, one of the ways is making it a practice, like yeah. asking yourself the question, how do I feel? And yeah. here's what we do, by the way. We will say thinking words, but use the sentence, I feel. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. Okay. Like cool. even what you're describing with, you know, some of the girls that you talk to, like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a dark place. Like, mm -hmm. well, that that's that's more descriptive and it, it is kind mm -hmm. of abstract, but it's really not a feeling word. Hmm. You know, it's yeah. not it's not. It's not identifying, yeah. I feel this. Mm -hmm. So there's a tool, you can Google it, called the feelings wheel. Okay. That's helped me tremendously okay. to like actually put words We'll probably into, put that in the show notes if that's, that's helpful. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to Google it. You can just look at the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's helped me to identify, okay, here's what feelings are and here's how to right. put them into words. Mm -hmm. And again, putting them into words matters because you're bringing the two sides back okay. together. You're processing emotions, not just allowing them to stay there. And then um, I'm a big proponent of silence and solitude, yeah, reflection. Mm -hmm. This, so we, we talk about all these like disciplines in the Christian mm -hmm. faith. We talk about mm -hmm. the importance of worship. We talk about the importance mm -hmm. of giving. We talk about serving. We don't talk about a whole lot, solitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't talk yeah. about silence. Which yeah. Jesus practiced. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So right. I think this is our a, a lost art, a lost yeah. discipline. Mm -hmm. And and it's absolutely necessary for us to heal even ourselves mm -hmm. and become mm -hmm. whole that we understand the importance of silence and solitude. Okay, I think about this. Okay, here's my last analogy yeah. on this. <laughs> the Apostle Paul should have had a counselor. <laughs> right? Somebody tweet that. Right. right. I mean, think <laughs> about that. That's the truest statement. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. If we went through what he yeah. went through, I'd hmm. be in therapy right now. Right. Like, like that is intense. Like yeah. talk about trauma after trauma after yeah. trauma. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, he's got a past, like mm -hmm. jacked up, yeah. all jacked up. <laughs> why didn't he need counseling? And why don't you really see that a whole lot in scripture? Okay, here's my hypothesis. I can't prove it. Yeah. But I think when you look at the pace of their life and then you looked mm -hmm. at how they lived, they had natural reflection. Mm -hmm. And I would even make the assumption that they identified their feelings easier and quicker than we're mm -hmm. able to do. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Apostle Paul had to go over to the next town, which would, we would typically drive in our car, you know, maybe 20 minutes. 
He had to walk there. Mm-hmm. What is he doing during that time? Mm-hmm. He's not listening to his iPad. Mm-hmm. He's not listening to, um, you know, whatever the latest ebook is. Right. Like he's not he's, listening to this podcast. He's not <laughs> listening to this right now. He, Where we tell him he needs a counselor. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's walking, he's thinking, he's reflecting, he's yeah. processing, right? Yeah. There's just this natural rhythm. Then on top of that, they already had, as, as the model of Jesus showed us, that they actually took intentional time right. to pray, to be separate, mm-hmm. to walk away from the crowd, walk away from the family, walk away from the busyness, walk away from work, and just be still. So it seems like we've said that human connection is a significant part of the healing process. Is that always the case? Or is there going to are there going to be certain circumstances where that connection is maybe detrimental in some way? I was going to ask that too because, you know, talking about empathy – it's easy to, as a ministry leader, to just say, okay, I'm going to pair you with this student who experienced something traumatic too. Right. You guys just be friends. And and there is a sense of comfort when you know that someone yeah. has experienced something similar to you. You don't have to explain everything. You don't have to ask permission to feel certain things. But can that be the grounds for like a toxic relationship? Is it like this self-loathing thing where it's like, what was me? No, what was me? And you know. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because I feel like in the classroom, I always saw the two kids who were closest to despair pairing up oh, and talking about how difficult their life was. And it was like this despair cyclone that oh. they somehow made things <laughs> yeah. worse for each other. <laughs> Not yeah. helpful. Yeah. Fix that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. I mean, you can you can have it where they feel very comfortable. Like people yeah. who are in despair feel very comfortable around people who are in despair. And mm-hmm. unhealthy thought processes will generally kind of attract unhealthy thought processes. Right. And that's the problem, though. What you're doing is you're having someone who's just connecting with you on the right side of your brain, but there's no there's no shifting it into a logical process. So mm-hmm. the problem is is that if you just have emotional processing sometimes instead of exhausting it, you're adding to it. Okay. Right. So you have somebody like, yeah, I really feel like alone. You know, I feel really alone too. Yeah. I feel alone because I am alone. Yeah. I feel that way too because (laughs) I'm alone. That's an actual conversation I've heard between teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's our teenagers, right? Yeah. Well, we're just alone. Right. And it's like, that's great. Well, what have we solved right now? We've added to our emotional um, pressure, right? Yeah. The problem is, is we're not actually dealing with it. We're not shifting it over to the logical side of the brain. That has to happen in order for despair to decrease. You have to think of despair as a dispairing. Like the Mm -hmm. two sides of the brain are disconnected. Mm -hmm. And the only way to heal despair is to bring the two sides back together. But you can't Mm -hmm. do that just by going logical first. You have to first start emotional, Mm -hmm. then bring it logical. So it's not always best to put all the broken kids together. You know, everyone's broken, by the way, but you get my point to take all these like, oh, yeah, this kid's been through something. That kid's been through something. Let's put them together and let them talk about it. Yes. With guidance. Right. Because at some point you want to you want to lead them out of that. You want to say, tell me more. I feel alone. Why do you feel alone? Right. So it's the the despairing is the focus on one half of the brain, either half whether it's staying stuck in the emotional side or, or leading with the logical side. It's you've got to start with the emotional and then eventually lead into the logical. So if you have a despairing of your brain and you just have all this emotional energy, yeah. then you're in despair. If you have a despairing of the brain and you have all this illogical processing and you're just ignoring the emotions, then you have a jerk. 
right? right. <laughs> like you just, yeah. you, you, have, right. you have emotional detachment. Right. And so neither one are good. Like yeah. healthy mm-hmm. processing is being able to say, this is how I feel. And this is, you know, why I feel this way. And here's now what I believe about that, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, though, our emotions shape our beliefs. Mm-hmm. And students are very quick, by the way, to say, oh, well, I feel this way. Therefore, I this mm-hmm. this is what I believe, you know, I believe. I'll give you an example. So mm-hmm. my nine-year-old mm-hmm. isn't quite a teenager, but, you know, preteen-ish. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, you know, he was getting in trouble for something. And I, I said, go to your room. And I started to close the door. And for whatever reason, just the heightenedcy of this moment, he starts freaking out, like grabs my leg, starts acting mm-hmm. like a toddler, really. And like, mm-hmm. don't close the door, you know, and yeah. like heightened emotional response. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do was kind of just shrug off and say, mm-hmm. OK, he's just being over the top. He's trying to manipulate me, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But the more I tried to push against this, the more he became even more emotionally heightened. Mm-hmm. I finally stopped and I, I got down on the floor where he was, you know, mm-hmm. holding on to my leg for dear life. And yeah. I said, what is going on? By the way, anytime you have something going on with the teenager and you start thinking, what is going on? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with something that's not fully present. Right. Like you're well, dealing with something true. deeper. An you're dealing issue. with an underlying yeah. issue. And so here I was looking at my nine-year-old and I'm like, okay, what is going on? And I stopped and I looked him in the eye and I said, how do you feel right now? Like, mm-hmm. what are you feeling? And he said, I feel scared. Mm. Why do you feel scared? Now, I'm mad. So I had to deal with my first, my anger first, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> you know, be like, oh, I don't want to do this. But I know it's right. Why do you feel scared? And he starts to break down his emotion. And he starts to express, I feel scared because when you close the door, I'm afraid you're going to send me off to another family. His core root issue was an abandonment issue. Where did that belief come yeah. from? How is it shaped? I don't know. But for whatever reason, that circumstance mm-hmm. triggered him to mm-hmm. a heightened emotional response. And then I was able to say that would never happen. Right. Yeah. I was able to logically. Mm-hmm. Now he's he's exhausted the emotion. Then I was able to say that'll never happen. I was able to to reinforce a, a better belief, right. which is mm-hmm. I will you know, you will always be a part of this family. And just because right. you're in trouble right now doesn't mean you're not going to be a part of this family. And then we were able to reroute the discipline to something that was more helpful and, yeah. and yeah. constructive for him, which was, you know, I want you to write a letter because he was being disrespectful to somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to shift that. But that would have never happened if mm-hmm. I would have just stuck to my guns of the principle. Right. Mm-hmm. That would have never happened if I didn't notice the emotion and help him to exhaust the emotion first. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you think I'm a messed up parent. Um, it's because <laughs> we we're all are all messed up <laughs> <Yeah>. parents <laughs> yeah. and, yes. and you're going to screw up your kids yeah. somehow. Just choose your choose your way. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but but we're going to be imperfect and we're going to be imperfect youth leaders. Mm-hmm. We're going to be imperfect youth pastors. Right. So this isn't about being perfect. This isn't about a formula. Right. This is about simply seeing people right where they are and helping them to navigate through tools that we know help the brain to heal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. coincidentally, it's love. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. empathy. Yeah. yeah. That's good. No wonder the Bible talks so much about it. Wow. So one thing, I mean, if I could summarize what I hear you saying, yeah. two sides of the brain, emotional side, logical side, when the emotional side is heightened, we have to engage kids on the emotional side so that that emotion can drain out and we can engage them on the logical side. Yep. I'm with you. That all sounds, and, and I think you might agree with this, 
that sounds like it's true for neurotypical kids. Mm -hmm. I can't help but think about a young lady um, who was at our church who had a traumatic brain injury that left the the left side of her brain not working. Wow. So all she had was the one side. Now, if you know much about brain science, which obviously you do, parts of the brain will then begin to engage and become the logical side that weren't before, which is fascinating. God is weird in that way, and I love it. Um, but I would... I think as leaders, we have to caution ourselves that not every kid is going to respond in this sort of mm -hmm. neurotypical way. Yeah. And so getting to know parents and getting to like understand their academic situation, um, even when we can being engaged in their special education programs might be helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, the tools and the approach definitely changes mm -hmm. based off of uh, the circumstances and the individual, especially when you're facing um, pretty big obstacles like that, you know, that are, that are not typical. Um, the one thing that I think is the common thread though, that I think we all would agree is that love and human connection still matters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That, that, then if we honestly, if we stop and we look at an individual for who they are and we just listen long enough, mm -hmm. like I bet you we're going to find some solutions to just help that individual. And mm -hmm. again, it won't be, whoop, we checked our box. Right. We fixed the problem. Right. If, if we think we're going to fix the problems, yeah. Yeah. we're kind of missing it, yeah. right? right? It's like, this is a, this is an exhausting career for right. people who yeah. feel like they need to fix it all yeah. because it never happens quite right. the way that we want it to. But that yeah. doesn't mean that God can't be bigger than the mess, right? right. Mm -hmm. we, we see that. We, yeah. when we see amazing things that take place in the heart of these souls that God allows us and entrusts us to care yeah. for. Yeah. And it doesn't always make sense, yeah. but all I know at the end of the day is that love and empathy matter. Yeah. And it's the quickest way to connect with any kid, any parent, any human being, no mm -hmm. matter who they are. And, um, there are a lot of obstacles to your point and mm -hmm. the tools will definitely change. And it's, it, we have to be wise to know when they change. Yeah. This is one of the reasons I think you are a great leader. Cause when I think about my early years, in ministry, my temptation was to always say, well, just preach the gospel and the gospel will fix everything. Mm. <laughs> and you're not saying don't. Right. You're saying there are some steps along the way to get a kid to, to a place where they can even hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that is so powerful. Well, that's so good. I, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and I would, I would agree early on in my ministry career, it was, I'm going to preach mm. the gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm just going to, Tell them the truth. Well, yep. This is what the book says. Right. I'm man of the book. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you just want to like, this is, we're, we're, yeah. you know, this is truth. This is what we're going to do. Right. And I think over time I started to realize like we're missing it. Like yeah. I'm missing yeah. it. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. I'm yeah, missing yeah. it. I would say the problem of despair has also caused me to go deeper into this subject and really figure out, okay, how are we wired? How mm -hmm. has God wired? Because I, uh, how has God wired us? Because I don't believe He just left us here mm -hmm. to just well, good luck. Mm -hmm. I think we together are the solution. Like mm -hmm. we are the body of Christ. That the yeah. solution is within so us, mm -hmm. and it's together. Mm -hmm. And there's something about collective togetherness that heals. Yeah. It heals us. Like our yeah. connection, yes, with our heavenly Father, is very important. Yeah. But we often feel that connection through mm -hmm. others, right? Yeah. You know, well, I really couldn't agree with you more. I feel like we are the body. And I keep asking myself, what does patience actually look like? What does, you know, love and empathy really look like when 
we just want to see our students grow. We just want to see them do well. We put all of this pressure on ourselves to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. um, but this is inspired because this is inspiring me because it's we're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And it's the mm -hmm. continual process of being there, showing up for them with empathy, allowing them to process maybe even the same emotions over and over and us being willing to say, OK, well, I'm going to help you mm -hmm. meet your emotion and then help you with scripture or however else process that. Yeah. Um, that left side of the brain that's that despairing. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to repair. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Guys, I'm so grateful for this conversation. And Will, thank you for bringing what you've learned this past year and a half to share with us. Um, I think it'll help us a lot here at Orange as we move forward in our thinking and our strategy. And I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of the youth leaders listening and their experiences as well. And if you want to learn more about Will's organization, we'll have links in our show notes or head to willhudge.com. Thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time.